What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Kings and Priests podcast. I'm Michael, and I am here with my highly esteemed co-host, Dean Sweetman. Highly esteemed. I'll take it. G'day, everyone. (laughs) Good to be here. Live from Park City, Utah. Back in Park City for the uh, summer. So you, uh, you had enough of us. You had enough of us here in LA. You know, I can only take so much crazy <laughs> in Los Angeles. So uh, the, the, the meter gets to the top and we have to get out of Dodge. So yes. here we are. Just in time for the uh, all the political ads to ramp up for this big mayoral election in the fall. I already just have signs all over my neighborhood. Of really? Just all the different. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's I'm really- so glad I'm not there for all that. <laughs> but I, I, look, I you know, I hope they get a good mayor. Los Angeles yep. needs it. We do. So you're back in the mountains, warm weather, golf weather. There's still Um, snow on, uh, on Deer Valley, which I can see from, you know, my place here. And, uh, but that'll all all be gone probably by the end of June and golf courses are green and fast. There you go. Does Park City, um, is it mostly locals in the summertime or does it, cause I know during the winter, it's basically full on tour and I know not where you live, but it's pretty tourist. It swells up in summer too. Like, Getting a restaurant reservation, you know, around the 4th of July or whatever is hard. So, no, it's a big – and a lot of mountain biking, right? So they swap the skis out in all the ski shops, put mountain bikes in, and, like, it's apparently mountain biking heaven up there. So not looking for a broken collarbone myself, so I don't (laughs) – I abstain. Um, And then are there, like – would you say there's a lot of folks kind of, like, in your same situation – in Park City where it's sort of like, hey, we're going to be here. We're not going to be here for the full year, but it's it just is, like, yeah. A, yeah. Yeah, people from Texas, um, Arizona, right, gets a little hot down there in the summer. So, mm-hmm. you know, Park City really is like 80, 80s, you know. Mm-hmm. We might have some 90s for a week or two, but it's it's pretty nice. So, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of people from other places come here for, yeah. you know, they come for the winter and, and then come for the summer. Yeah. Um, okay, so did you read this Elon Musk email from yesterday? So it's Tuesday the 2nd. This will be out next Tuesday, Wednesday. So we'll be mm-hmm. a bit behind on it. But um, what was your, because I, I guess I have some some hot yeah. takes. Not that anybody cares what my hot takes are, but I got some hot takes. But what when you read this, what was your like initial, initial well, thought? I, I'm going to guess that you are, and I are going to differ based on generational lines. <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> I was born in 64, which is the end of the baby boom, start mm-hmm. of the Gen X. And so, I, you know, I understand both, I think, pretty well. But when it comes to, like, hard work, going to work. Now, I temper this by saying we, when we started our company, we were all remote. Yes. But it was a technology company. Mm-hmm. And it, it, we just, you know, we started that way. When the pandemic came, we looked like geniuses because, like, mm-hmm. wow, you can run your business. And I remember talking to VCs. Pre-pandemic and like, you know, we're not sure if we can invest money in a company that doesn't have, wow. have an office. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, don't worry. We, you know, we won't, <laughs> we won't put you in that place. We don't need your money. Yep. Uh, of course we did, you know, get money from people <laughs> who got it. <laughs> yeah. But um, it was a thing. Now the pandemic, now it's the thing. So here we are post. Uh, I know the banking industry wants people to come back. A lot of tech is, you know, depending, I, I think it's woke versus not woke, like the mm-hmm. super wokes, like Twitter's like, stay away forever. You don't yep. have to come. Mm-hmm. If Elon buys <laughs> Twitter, you know, that's changing. Man. Um, Which, by the way, have you, not to totally take us on a rabbit trail, but have you seen the video of the Twitter executive who was like secretly getting taped going off on Elon Musk? Yeah. yeah and then there's yeah. the video of 
them finding him in a restaurant and chasing him up and down the streets of New York. It's it's pure comedy. It's one of the best things I've ever seen. Anyways. Times that by a thousand. Yes. Like there's a thousand of him in, in Twitter and they're all just their heads on fire. So um, so here's what I think. I think as a, the CEO gets to decide what and how they want to run the company. And if the workers don't like where the CEO is going, they should look for another company. So mm-hmm. Elon is like, we're back in the office. It's a high, you think about what they do for a living. It's a highly collaborative, mm-hmm. like you're designing things in labs. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you really do that remotely? I right. don't think so. Right. You can put all the CAD and everything on uh, online, and I'm mm-hmm. sure there's a bunch of cool kind of tech to do that. But yeah, but it comes down to the CEO. If the CEO yep. wants you back. You come back. If you mm-hmm. don't want to come back, you move to and work for Twitter, where it's a free for all and they don't make any money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I. I mean, look, I I love the email. Like, um, there's been like a series. There's been a bunch of uh, you know leaked Elon emails over the years, and there was one where he basically like sends an email to his executive team that was basically like, "This is how you're to communicate to me. If I send you this directive, you need to either respond by telling me why I'm wrong in detail, uh, saying yes, I'll do it, or I, I forget what it was. But I right. love his directness. So like, yeah. I love the spirit behind it. In fact, like, yeah. I love. <laughs> Whenever I've worked for people, I actually love people who just like they are who they are and they don't really care what you think about it because it makes you want right. to like um, makes you really want to f- like play full on, you know, yeah. for them. And follow them. Um, and so, you know, when he says basically like, you know, in this email, um, my way over highway. Yeah. Anyone who wishes to do remote work must be in the office for a minimum. And I mean, minimum of 40 hours <laughs> 40 per hours. week or depart Tesla. Uh, right. This is less than we ask of factory workers. So to me, that's cool because he's sending this email right. to the executive team and he's saying, look, right. like our factory workers have to be here every day. They were here right. every day during the pandemic. So, right. you know, you, you, you need to get here. And he kind of just says, this is what we're doing. And then I think right. on Twitter, someone made a comment and he responded, well, if they don't want to do it, they can go pretend to work somewhere else. There so <laughs> I guess I should start off by saying like, heck yeah. I mean, I love I love someone who's just going to be full on about what they expect. Right. The other hand is I, and maybe it's a personality thing, but I, I've had times working in offices and times working at home and I actually get way more done. I I find when I'm working from home, I actually work more Mm -hmm. and I get way more done. I I'm classic ADD. So the less distraction I have, the better, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I find offices fairly distracting. And I've like, I'd work in an office, but I did sort of go like, I don't know, man, with Elon, everything just seems so like, what's the message behind the message? And I think part of it, seeing it is that, right? It's like, he does. Yeah. um, I want people like you're making cars and I think he did the same for SpaceX, right? mm So if you're sending rockets to the moon, you know, and building cars that need to be safe. Yeah. I I, I just want the best, brightest people working in the most productive, you know, functional yes. way to yep. give me the product that's safe. Not that I own a Tesla, but, um, you know, it's like, but bottom line, CEO gets to decide yep. how he runs his company. Yeah. If the board doesn't like how the CEO runs his company, they'll replace him. If the employees don't like the CEO, mm-hmm. how they'll leave. Yeah. That's the free market. And that's yeah. why I love it. Yeah. I, I will say this. I do think it's cool. And I actually didn't think about this before we talked. And that is that there is this idea of like, he mentions the factory workers, right? So the idea is, is like, hey, we're one team. And so we're not right. like in these separate spheres doing separate things. And it reminded me, I had a cousin who worked in IT for 7-Eleven 
for like a decade. Wow. And in the office, corporate job, but everyone that works for 7-Eleven, no matter where you're at, if you're the CEO, if you're a salesperson, you have to work the overnight shift in a 7-Eleven once a year. Wow. And you've got to be there for the deliveries in the morning and you've got to. So once a year, he would like go do his overnight shift. So there is something cool to me about like, you know, hey, we're not a tech company where everyone's working on their computers. There's right. there's different spheres of people. And we need to all as a team come together and yep. kind of show the same work. So I do think it's pretty cool. It um, is. If I was it working is. at Tesla, I certainly wouldn't leave. I, I can't see people leaving for yeah. that reason. But, yeah. you know, we'll hey, see. That's, they can if they want. Yep. Um, so, all right. The all in summit content, we're big fans of that podcast. And I got to say like, so they did their all in summit uh, maybe a month ago. I would actually would have loved to have gone, but it Dude, was, I applied and did I you? Didn't get in. yeah, yeah I totally it, was, it was, uh, I didn't even apply because it was next level expensive. Um, yeah, but, so maybe someday, but I, I like yeah. how they did it and they kept all the press out, which is amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, um, sure. but they've been dropping such a every wide speaker. range of content, every speaker, every I've, panel. I've listened to most of them mm -hmm. and they're phenomenal. I yeah. encourage everyone to not just subscribe to All In, um, but listen to all the content. It, yeah. it is just fantastic. Yeah, it really is. There was the, I think for me, the couple that have really stood out, obviously Bill Gurley and Brad Gerstner talking about markets. Yep. Um, it was really awesome. And then one of my other favorite ones was Nate Silver uh, doing yeah. his talk on how gamblers think, which I love because yeah. I'm a poker player and, yeah. Um, so yes, please, if you're listening, go listen to those. Um, Good content. They're, they're phenomenal. Okay, so before we get into our other topics, I just had a thought pop into my mind I want your perspective on. Uh -huh. um, so we've talked a lot about being in a recession, heading towards a recession. We've talked a lot about the markets hurting. We've talked a lot about businesses, you know, all that changing, capital drying up, all, all the above. So this is a podcast about like kingdom-driven entrepreneurs. Right. So we've talked a lot about how this affects business people. How does a recession affect pastors? And how can business people and pastors and church leaders um, work together during, right. these, during these times? Because I would imagine pastors and business people are both feeling in different ways the stress yep. from kind of the environment that we're in now. Well, here's what I lived through. I lived through the 2000.com. Uh, implosion prior to that i had a lot of people donating stock to the church and you know which was phenomenal um and then i lived through um the 08 mm -hmm. as a pastor 09 really it was the recession didn't really hit till 10 but so he, here's what happens typically attendance stays pretty firm or even goes up because when people are afraid like i remember after 9 11 church attendance. Popped, oh gosh. I remember. Right? Yeah. And so here's what happens. Church attendance goes up, giving per unit goes down. And I think budgets are largely untouched. Um, now, if you go back and look at the last 30 years of, of faith giving in the US, there's one time where it went down 2% and that is 2010. So that was the the backside of that, you know, real mm -hmm. estate bubble mm -hmm. and that recession. Mm -hmm. And then so, but in every other recession, it's either held or gone up. So wow. the amazing thing about giving in the US especially is the givers are, are just, they, they, they they're believe, faithful. Yeah. they're faithful to scripture first, not to markets. Mm. Um, 
and and their their conviction is is that they want to put God first in everything. So it doesn't really matter what the markets are doing. Now, <clears throat> how does that affect you know how the pastor? You know, I had a lot of contractors in my in my church in the 08, and that you know part mm-hmm. of the economy collapsed for probably three years, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you could you couldn't build things for the price that they were selling for because they were selling so cheap, right? All yes. the foreclosures, so mm-hmm. just nothing was built, and so that put plumbers out of work. And and we've talked about this, like if you're really good, if you're really mediocre, you'll survive when things are good. Mm-hmm. When things tighten up, you'll get you know cold mm-hmm. because <clears throat> you know. It, there's just not enough demand around and people, the good ones, you know, survive mm-hmm. and the, the mediocre ones are cold and have to go do something else. So that happens a bit. Um, but, I, you know, as a general rule, pastors should always be in communication with their business people. They should have a weekly or monthly breakfast with their business people. Mm-hmm. They should always be asking what, you know, what to pray about, you know, with their business people. They should always have lines of communication open so that business person who faces certain kinds of pressures that, quite frankly, um, employees don't. Mm -hmm. When you're the business owner, you're thinking about payroll, you're thinking about future orders, you're thinking about all of these things to keep your business afloat in tough times. Mm -hmm. And so 100% pastors need to be in and around and connected to the business people of the church for all the reasons I just described. Mm -hmm. And then you just kind of hunker down and get through it together and keep believing God. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Um, So let's talk about, uh, I came across this article and we sort of touched on this last week and we're just kind of every week we're like drilling down more into how to think about um, starting businesses. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of our listeners, yeah, you know, they got side hustles, they have an idea, they're aspiring founder, maybe they just started. Um, and so a lot of what we talk about is like, you know, how do we assess a startup idea? And this is coming on the backside of at least myself, right? And this is why I'm loving learning about this more is like, I'm the guy that started a million things because I had an idea in a silo, went and started this thing only to kind of go like, oh yeah, nobody else really needed this but me. Or this seemed like a really good deal until, you know, really good idea until I got three or four months down the track and realized that, you know, it's a problem that's already been solved or whatever that might be. So um, we're talking today about like, how do we assess startup ideas? What is the right. criteria we use? Um, so I came across this article that we'll link to by a guy named Todd Jackson, who built Gmail's user interface, you know, Facebook's newsfeed and uh, Twitter's timeline. So this is a very like product focused, you know, way of thinking about starting businesses. And I know not all businesses are, are product driven, but I've even found myself um, trying to filter you know, the things that the thing that I'm building through this as well, even though it's not necessarily a a physical product, but basically he just says this, he says, there's, you know, four different, you know, ideas, criterias that we need to like bounce stuff off. And and it's basically this uh, functional needs. So does it address a clear functional need that users have? Mm -hmm. Um, And this is often why they'll try it. We've talked a lot about that, right? Right. Um, Then he says emotional needs. Does it address an emotional need that users have? This is often why they feel, uh, why they'll tell others about it, unlocking that viral word of mouth growth loop that's so critical. So maybe let's like stop there for a second. When he talks right. about like emotional need, yeah. um, what's well, he talking the, about there? In sales, the age old question hmm. is, um, do I, from as a buyer, <clears throat> 
do I need this or do I want this? If I need it, it it's, it's a much different thought process. I'm, if I need it, I'm probably going to buy it. All I'm going to do is negotiate to get the best price if I can and get the best whatever widget I'm trying to get to suit my needs. Mm-hmm. If I need it, I'm getting it. Mm-hmm. Um, if I want it but not necessarily need it, and that's from the sales side, mm-hmm. right, or mm-hmm. the product building side, mm-hmm. if, is, if there's a high level of emotional, um, I really want this, but I no deep down in the back of my mind, I don't need it, but I really want it. <clears throat> That's an emotional sale. Mm-hmm. And there's plenty of, if you're a good salesman, you're going to convince the person <laughs> that kind of thinks that they want it, that they really do need it. Mm-hmm. That's the journey from no to yes. Yep. And when you can convince someone that it, realistically it's something they really don't need and it might be a fad thing or it might be... Mm. But you're going to convince them. This is this is going to this is going to product's going to change your life, yeah. <laughs> right? So um, I, I think this just comes down to the practicalities of want and need, mm-hmm. and then how you present products and services to your customer base, and how can you tell the story? Yep. Around getting them emotionally engaged with thinking, going from want to need, mm-hmm. and making a sale. Yeah. And that's that's kind of how I view it. And I guess there's there's certain products that can be both and depending on how you position it, right? Like um, I always remember one of the first times I ever like really saw this in action in a business world. I was uh, my first job selling media was selling. We had a suite of media products, billboards, taxi tops, experiential, all of it. And we had a, a series of billboards that our owner had strategically bought <laughs> that started in Culver City at the exit of the Sony Pictures lot. Mm-hmm. And basically went all the way up through sunset, all the way up into the hills. And his reasoning know, well. behind that was, um, we will always be able to sell these billboards to Sony because the studio head drives from Culver City right. up there, up La Brea and up into the hills. And sure enough, those were the easiest suites of billboards to sell, not because they actually did anything, but because right. the buyer knew, well, my boss is literally going to see his movies right. on the billboard. Um, And that was literally the only way they sold those billboards. It was the only way. Um, And to me, that's like an interesting, like a very practical way of thinking about that, right? Is like there is an emotional, but maybe now in a recession that changes. Emotions don't necessarily. Well, reality comes, Mm -hmm. you know, sets in, right? Mm -hmm. And, And inflation has caused people spending, maybe not yet. I think everyone's committed to going away this summer and going on a big vacation, mm-hmm. with whether it's on credit or what. Mm-hmm. But at some point in the third quarter, spending is going to slow the consumer side, 70% of the, the economy. Yep. And that is going to affect, um, you know, how many things get bought and sold. And that's mm-hmm. where you get a contraction. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, there's so much info all over the world. I, I tend to think we're in a, a, a bit of a recession now, pretty light one. Could it go... Is it going to be light and long or deep and quick? Mm. And um, there's, there's, you know, upsides and downsides to both. Light and long, you just kind of bump along through it, you know, and it doesn't get that bad. But stagflation is a big deal and you can, it's hard to get out of those cycles. Look at Japan, it's 20 years, you know. So, and if it's deep and quick, it's pain. Mm-hmm. Everyone loses jobs. It's like just shocks the economy, mm-hmm. but you get out of it faster. Mm-hmm. So it, it's going to be one or the other. I don't think anyone knows yet. Yeah. 
Um, so emotional needs, then we've got next, and this is, I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this. The next one, and again, this is from a uh, venture capital point of, point of view, right? But he, mm-hmm. what he calls billion plus market, isn't in a large underserved market or is a market that can become large. This impacts everything from your ability to fundraise to who may be interested in acquiring you. So that's a key difference in building a product or a business for like the venture space and then building right. just a good, solid, uh, you know, low margin high profit business. Right. Yeah. So how should someone think about market maybe that's not like, let's say someone's listening and they're like, I'm not trying to build a, a startup that, you know, is going to be valued at, in the billions right. one day. I, I just want to build a good right. business. Um, how should they look at the market? So go, let's go back pre-internet, pre-tech, mm-hmm. right? Back to the industrial, you know, from the 20s, probably from the, you know, the start of the 20th century through to its end. And, you know, people manufacturing, um, you know, products being developed, right? Usually family run and family owned, maybe within partnerships, capital raised, but not like it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, it was more traditional. So <clears throat> those family businesses are, it is what kind of built the American economy. And before like escape velocity, ridiculous 10, X thousand X growth. There was none of that. It was build your factory, sell your widgets, market them, get reps, like all the stuff, the old school stuff to, to make a profit. And maybe in, you know, five to 10 years, you've got this company that maybe it employs 50 people. You know, you're making a really good income as the, the CEO. And at the end of the year, you make a couple of extra million bucks and you pay yourself a bonus, right? That, that was the American kind of, you know, engine mm-hmm. that really just exploded the economy over that 80 years and what made America pull in front of every other economy in the world. It was, it was that kind of thinking. Along comes tech. It all speeds up at 1,000 miles an hour. But I, I think the fundamentals of building, you know, products or selling services the old-fashioned way and just think about, man, what would it be like to build a business you know, forget moats and recurring and like like that's that's so tech heavy. But what's what would it be like to build a business that did a million in revenue, right? With with a net net profit of, you know, thirty percent. Right. So after all your expenses, including your own, you know, wage, mm-hmm. what if you spat out three hundred K a year in in true cash profit? Mm. I mean, in most towns in America, you're gonna be yeah, at the country club. You, I mean, you're going to be living yep. large, yep. right? So, and there's that's and that, and that's going to support your family. It's going to be generational wealth. Maybe you do that for 20, 30 years, mm-hmm. and you sell the thing for ten million, and mm-hmm. right. So mm-hmm. it, it's just the beautiful kind of classic way of building a business. I still think those fundamentals are there. Mm-hmm. Certainly, if you're not in tech, mm-hmm. and so it's like just set a goal: do a million in revenue. Mm-hmm. You know, and have as few employees as possible, pay them really well and love your customers, listen to your customers, treat your customers like, you know, and just go and and then maybe you hit something, maybe a new product or your product takes off in another mm-hmm. market and you get to two million, mm-hmm. right? And keep your expenses down and like all the, th- the fundamentals of running a business. Mm-hmm. And um, man, you do that for 20 or 30 years, mm-hmm. you are rocking and rolling. So- well- there's, there's a lot of businesses that should stay boutique. Mm-hmm. You know what's so funny about that? I was talking to my brother, my little brother last night. So he lives in Austin. 
he works, uh, he runs comms, he works at a comms agency, and all of their clients are venture fund, most of them are venture funds and startups, right? So right. he spends literally all day, every day talking to founders, CEOs about their business, what they're doing, mm -hmm. they rep crypto, coming, you know, they're, they're massive. And right. he was doing an onboarding yesterday with a new venture fund who just came on. And by the way, it's, you know, I think, I think their minimum retainer is like 35 grand a month. So it's a big fund that's like, right. you know, and he's like doing the intake, talking to them, okay, what are you guys investing in? And, and he said the tone from when he first talked to them two months ago to now, he said basically their answer to the question yesterday was normal cash flow positive businesses that are not glamorous, that yep. are not flashy. And this is a venture yep. fund, um, yep. a, like a legacy venture fund. And who's right. just kind of gone. So I don't know, are we maybe going into a world at least in the next couple of years where those kind of businesses are actually more enticing to yeah. investors than, you know. Well, capital has to go somewhere, right? Then th th those funds exist not to hold funds in bank accounts and get, you know, 2% interest. Those funds exist to be spent. But what's going to happen is they're going to be, it's going to be much more discretionary mm -hmm. type investing. Mm -hmm. They're going to look at a lot of different factors. Uh, the main ones still count. Growth still counts, but mm -hmm. profitability has shot up. Mm -hmm. For the last five years, profitability was not even <laughs> talked about. Yeah, like right. no one cared. Let's just pour a bunch of money in this and grow mm -hmm. it as fast as we can, mm -hmm. and and like get this thing. You know, um, but that's all changed now. And look, it's not going to be forever. It's just the the ebbs and flows of capital. Mm -hmm. But the capital is is got to go places. It's mm -hmm. it's just not going to go to as many risky places as it has in the last few years. It's going to be just dealt out with a more discerning eye. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so the next big thing that he talks about here is this idea of a must-have versus a nice-to-have. So I just want to read this quote that he had in, in that he, he wrote that I thought was really good, and then I just kind of want to mm -hmm. hear your thoughts off, off it. So he says, most founders I talk with haven't thought about their idea this deeply. They have a high-level problem they want to solve but haven't yet mapped it to the functional and emotional needs of their customers. If you don't go through an exercise like this, you're in danger of developing a nice-to-have product, not a must-have product, which right. puts product market fit further out of reach. Um, so essentially, he's saying, like, you got to name the needs and then pressure test whether those needs are, you know, acute or if they're just nice-to-haves. Right. Um, so maybe for a second, like, let's talk about the difference between a nice-to-have and a must-have and maybe even just off the top of our head try and throw out some examples of what those are. Yeah, so, you know, when we developed our first giving product, there was some must-haves. Mm -hmm. It had to be able to process a credit card, you know, within a couple of clicks and do it pretty simply. Mm -hmm. That was a must-have. That was the product. Mm -hmm. um, the nice-to-haves, you know, oh, we'd like to do ACH, right, like direct-to-bank transfer, mm -hmm. but we didn't start with that because we just wanted to get the product out the door and have the must-have. Hey, you want to give on your mobile phone? Put in a credit card and go. Mm -hmm. um, did we get to ACH? Yep, pretty quickly, right? And then we, you know, we had the first idea around covering fees, right? To, so mm -hmm. I give a hundred bucks and I actually mm -hmm. give one of three, saves the church the transaction fee. Mm -hmm. And so was that a, you know, must-have? No, I just need to get the product and get it working. Was it nice to have? Of course. Did it come later? Yes. Took about mm -hmm. a year. Mm -hmm. um, so there's what you have to do day one to be able to solve the problem that you're mm -hmm. trying to solve you got to get that to market and then all the one all the features all the you know got that all comes later mm -hmm. 
and you just prioritize which ones you're going to build and you just check them off the the list. It's important to know what stuff to build next. Mm -hmm. And that comes with talking to customers, getting a lot of feedback feedback from your initial product and and the problem it solved. And then basically listening to them on how you could iterate what you gave them to make it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he says um, a nice to have, I, I like this explanation. He says a nice to have usually starts with the founder talking about the product or the technology and a must have usually starts with the founder talking about the problem they're solving. So That's even just time. that that distinction, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And is that something that... Is that something that you guys like, let's say tidely keep coming back to like, so even in your like product roadmap, whether that's now you guys have a massive suite of dozens of products. Mm-hmm. Do you still sort of look at that in this like must have, must have versus nice to yep. have. And in Absolutely. certain times, can you flex priority focus yep. team to the, to the must have. And, 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 and pivoting to listening to our customers needs. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we only have a finite amount of engineering and product power, right? Our employees. And we have X amount of hours per week that we can throw at things. And so we're very, very focused on making sure the the priority. We spend a lot of time talking about this. What priorities should the teams be working on? We did a big switch, Um, you know, late last year, early Q1. We just, you know, we just pulled a bunch of resources from products where we thought, didn't need as much attention and put them on products where we knew we wanted to have more attention. Mm-hmm. And you, I think you're always got to be evaluating that. And then in software, you've got bugs, right? So like you have to pull people off stuff to fix things, which is like the worst thing about software, but it's every company has this issue. But then it's just a matter of, of directing those, you know, engineering resources to the places where they're always solving problems that your customer wants solved. Mm-hmm. And if you get to kind of, you know, out on these other rabbit trails that you're trying to gonna these vanity projects that you're trying to do that's not really gonna sizzle the customer mm-hmm. and, and help them with their needs. That's when competitors come in and start serving their needs better than you. And mm-hmm. that's competition. So it's right. it's uh it's constant. You know, you never stop listening. Mm-hmm. And then you you know you make some big bets here and there, right? You go, oh we're gonna build this one thing. Mm-hmm. And uh but that's there's tons of research that goes into that. Product mm-hmm. managers are gonna spend maybe three months talking to customers, examine, like looking at the market, seeing what else is for sale out there. How can this mm. be better? Should we make a bet and spend a million dollars on a new product? Should we, t- or should we take that million worth of engineering time and make our current products better? Right, right. So it's, yep. it's constant. Yeah, yeah, he says this and then, and then um, we can kind of move on. But he says, how these scale, you can build a business with a nice to have, but it is more difficult to scale. There's a higher churn. The sales cycles can be harder. When times are tough, budgets tighten more and proving ROI can be difficult. A must have as has immediate ROI and part of a mission critical workflow. These types yeah. of solutions customers cannot live without and would be devastated if the solution were taken away. Yeah. Um, that's such a good way to think about that, right? It's like, what's the immediate ROI? Is yep. this mission critical to the overall, you know, Right, bigger vision of the company, and then yep. um, can our customers live live without this? Really 100%. good. Any 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 other thoughts on that? Yeah, it just it, it it always comes back to fundamentals, you know, with all of this stuff. So um, get your vanity out of the way. Get your what you think someone needs out of the way, and really, and you know, the I say this all the time. 
if you're going to build a business, try and do something that you're an expert in. You mm-hmm. know the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, that was my kind of unfair advantage. I knew all the problems. I knew what to solve day one. And so if you're an expert in what you're trying to do and you're expert in the customer, that really just, you're going to start on the front foot because you know the problems that have to be solved because you either lived them or you studied them so hard that you know exactly yeah. the problems that you're going yeah. to solve. Yeah, really good. Cool. Well, thanks, Dean. Obviously, uh, super insightful as always. I'm excited. We got some really great guests going to come on this month. Yep. Um, yep. And it's cool. As we've been building the podcast, more and more folks have been like, yeah, I'll come on. At the beginning, it's sort of like, hey, we're starting this thing. I don't know. you know." Um, and then I think they just start looking at some some episodes and, hey, there's a little yep. bit of momentum. And people that literally just res- basically responded, no thanks, four months ago. Right. Are now saying, yeah, let's do it. So that's like a, it's been a cool thing yeah. to see. So well, we got just growing, which is yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. So we got some cool folks coming on. Again, hit us up with questions, comments, thoughts. Um, would love to answer your questions. And uh, we will see you right back here next week. Thanks, Dean. Awesome. See you, everyone.